Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to week five edition of the Baby Bowl here on the Fantasy Impact Today Network. I am one of your participants this evening in the Baby Bowl podcast, Wes Easley. You can find me on Twitter at Loafnet. And of course, I have with me the daddy of the Baby Bowl. One day he will be the grandpa of the Baby Bowl, which probably isn't too far away from uh, from from looking at this guy. He's getting old right before me every once in a while, <laughs> Rob. Uh, Rob Norton at Norton0723. How you doing tonight, Rob? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Wes? I am doing fine. Hey, man, uh, it has been fun, Baby Bowl, this year. And I, one of the things that is, I, I don't know, the thing that I love the most, and you know this about me already, we we talk in different chat rooms and different things like that, is I love being able to meet new people, right? I mean, that's what I love most about the Baby Bowl podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's always It's always one of the best things. Well, Max is not allowing me to do that because Max won again <laughs> last week, and that is the second time she has won this contest this year. So hats off to her for winning again this season. She won, what, two weeks ago, I think? Yeah, I believe she won week two and week four now. So she's she's due for an off week and then back to it next week. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know how I am, Rob. I take this stuff personally, and I love that Max is able to get another victory this season in the Baby Bowl. She's making it look very, very easy, though, and that is the one thing that's frustrating me because I keep sitting around that hundred point mark, hundred ten point mark, somewhere in that neighborhood, and I don't think you're very far behind me each week. Yeah, in front I was gonna of me. say. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I think I'm might be behind you overall. I mean, I'm, no, no, I'm no. somewhere mid pack. No, no. You are beating no. me by one-tenth of a point every one week. Tenth. Every week. <laughs> so you're sitting at 436. I am sitting at 435. I don't even know what Max has for the season. I don't, I don't, I don't want to know what she has for the season. <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary. She, she is actually 80 points ahead of fourth place. So she's up, up at 586.26. Oh, my. Can you read off the uh, top five or so? Yeah, uh, we got Max at 586.26. We got Falcons 023 at 557.46, sitting in second place. We got Coupe Fiasco at 541.62 in third place. We have David Heron at 508.64. And then we got our, our guy JB Chonos at 497.68, sitting in fifth place. Uh, you know, the thing with the Baby Bowl, though, is it every week is a new week. And we've talked about it so many different times, how people can either fall down in the standings just because of a bad week, because maybe you put CMC in your roster or something that week and he had an injury. And so, boom, that just takes away CMC. And all of a sudden you're left with a big old goose egg in the running back spot. Or you can have a real good week and jump up the rankings. So it's really cool to see how some of these people stay consistent. Rob, what we did, though, last week, because he couldn't be on with us, he won the Baby Bowl in week number three. And we asked him and invited him to come on in week number four. And I want him to tell everybody why he wasn't able to come on last week. But his name is Jesse Clark, at jcrockett24 on Twitter. Jesse, congratulations on winning week number three last week of the Baby Bowl. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, I wasn't able to be on last week because I was just in the midst of the fury that is midterms week during law school. And I had it especially tough this time around because it was like nonstop every single day I had one. And it was just uh, a complete mess until just a few hours ago. So I am a free man <laughs> for a few days and uh, can enjoy myself a little bit and uh, talk some sports, which I greatly miss. 
Well, we're glad to have you here. Rob, whenever uh, Jesse signed up for this, did you know who he was beforehand? Because I think he lives somewhere in the neck of your woods. Yeah, I knew I knew Jesse uh, a little little ways back. Uh, he actually reached out to me on Twitter, invited me onto um, you know one of his podcast live streams, and um, you know so so him and I have uh, gone way back, and we uh, played a little uh, fantasy baseball together and everything too. So yeah, Jesse and I go go back a little bit. Well, what we usually like to do here on the Baby Bowl is look back at week number fours or the past week's lineups a little bit, talk about those players going forward, not only in the Baby Bowl, but in season long or even in DraftKings this upcoming week. But we also like to look at the games coming up. But tonight we're going to do it a little bit different, maybe towards the end, towards the middle. I want to talk about a little baseball because, you know, the football season gets long and we just wrapped up the baseball season. The baseball playoffs came to an end uh, somewhere last week or so. And uh, I think all of us were probably swimming around in the baseball playoffs somewhere in our league. So I want to talk a little bit baseball to give my brain a little football break, if that's okay with you guys. Hey, that works for me. Perfect. All right. And that sounds good. And Jesse, I wish I knew you a long time ago when I was getting my degree. From the School of Hard Knocks, I, I got a bar stool degree from the School of Hard Knocks, Jesse. So I really wish I knew you a long time ago. Is what? Well. <laughs> uh, how's all that going? How, how long does that stuff take? Gosh, man, it's I would I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't absolutely miserable. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's typically a three year program. Um, but it just so happens that the school that I'm attending university of Dayton offers a two year program, uh, where I can basically work through the summer semesters instead of getting the summers off. I'm basically just working straight through for two years. Um, which I mean, obviously isn't the most fun cause you don't get that break, but the other advantage to it is, you know, I'm not old by any stretch, but I feel like I'm getting older. So it's just uh, better suited for me to kind of get it over with and done and kind of move on to the career. So. I I don't blame you for hurrying up as fast as you could. Can you, because of COVID and all that is, as thing changed in college where you're able to do a lot of things online now, even more so than what you were before uh, COVID. Yeah, it's actually strange. So the first, um, so this is my second semester. So there would be six semesters total. Um, and the first semester was all online. So during the summer, when we started in May, that was all online. So the, so I basically have this small class as it is because the two-year program is much different than the three-year program. So there's only like, there's less than 20 people in my class. So hmm. I basically had to meet everybody via Zoom for the first couple months and then finally got to actually meet them in person on campus starting in August. Um, we're still having to wear masks and everything else, which isn't ideal when you're wearing glasses and they fog up constantly and everything else. But, you know, it's it beats the alternative, I guess. So it's just a weird, interesting dynamic kind of going from being totally secluded to to now we have, you know, Mm-hmm. the social life element to everything which throws a wrinkle into everything as well so it does speaking of social life and school rob i know you're you're in there a lot jesse i don't know how long how, how often you're in that baby wool chat room that we have on twitter but i i it it flabbergasted me when hutch is sitting there chiming in at 10 30 in the morning <laughs> or 11 o'clock in the morning and, and for those of you who don't know how old is hutch uh, rob do you remember i think he said he's 16 i think he's a junior Junior and high school, sophomore, junior, one of the two. I think he said he's 16. 
And and uh, Jesse, this kid is like Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I know I'm going way back there in my memory. He's he's bringing phones to the classroom and everything, and he is just chiming in the Baby Bowl chat at like the time before they go to lunch in the morning. I, has he been in PE yet? Do they still do PE in high school and all that? Hutch is sitting there just, I'm fantasy footballing, is what he's like doing in the middle of history class or something like that. I, he, he's never going to get to law school like that, is he? Is he, Jesse? I would say no. Honestly, there are not a lot of people that truly understand what it takes. Um, there's just not there's not a whole lot of examples to, to give. But I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's basically you're in a classroom from nine o'clock until five o'clock. And then oh. I'm coming home after that. And I'm eating dinner with my wife and then I'm basically reading and studying for the next uh, classes for the next day until I go to bed. And that's basically a never ending cycle. And it's like between five to six hours on a Saturday, Sunday as well. So it's just nonstop. It's actually nice to get a four day break. I feel like I'm won the lottery or something. (laughs) What is there a specialized law that you're going into? No, I have no idea about that yet. I've been asked that a million times and I have no answers for anybody yet. I got you. Hutch is actually a really good uh, kid. He's he's making really good grades in school and everything. I just like giving him a hard time. Uh, probably just reliving my youth is all I'm doing. So, hey, let's get into week number four stay up, uh, uh, lineups here. And so, Jesse, I'm going to kind of have you sit in for Max. And, and Rob, you've got Max's takes on her lineup for last week. And one of the interesting things that Max and I both did was we we had two players, the same exact players, Mahomes and Henry last week, and both of them paid off for us. But where she did something a little bit different than I did, I put Miles Sanders in. He only got eight points. Henry, of course, got 26. Mahomes got 32. She put Mixon in there, who had 14. And Rob, that was somebody that you put in, too, uh, uh, Mixon with 14. Uh, Jesse, have you paid any attention to Mixon's status for this week? Do you anticipate him playing, or or how's that going? Sounds like he's questionable at best. I mean, I'm I'm kind of expecting him to sit out. You never trust uh, the Cincinnati coaching staff to be frank and, and honest with you when it comes to injuries. So I'm kind of expecting reading between the lines on what Schefter's report was earlier this week. It sounds like he's more week to week than day to day. So I'm kind of expecting Pirine to get the go. Yeah, that's what happened last year, too, I think, with Mixon. Had a little foot injury or something like that, and he just never went for the rest of the year, even though he was week-to-week, day-to-day, whatever it was. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I actually played him in my lineup in week four as well. Oh, okay. All right, very good. Now, Rob, you did something different. You didn't put Mahomes or Henry in there. You ended up with Hurts, so you kind of ran it back in the same game, and then you ended up with Chuba in there, and he gave you a nine points, my friend. Yeah, this one was one that didn't pay off. It was Madison paid off last week, too, but not so much. Um, so I mean, I I just wanted to get him in there, get him. It was looked like it was going to be a good matchup against Dallas. It looked like he was going to have most of the work, and you know I didn't know when CMC was going to be back, so I was just trying to look look towards the long haul and play a guy that I thought maybe would get a lot of volume and look what looked like a good matchup. And this one just didn't pay off. Well, I had a running back in that game and Kansas city is really vulnerable whenever they're going against the run, but I ended up putting the wrong Eagle in there, Jesse. I put Miles Sanders in there and, and, and that was just, I don't, I, you know, I, I RBBCs, 
running back by committees just get me so frustrated nowadays. Who do you see going forward in that position for the Philadelphia Eagles, Jesse? Do you think that it's a Sanders or a Gainwell? Who do you think? I think it's all uh, dependent on game script and everything else. I mean, if they're in a pass-heavy situation playing from behind, it's probably going to be more Gainwell than than Sanders. And I don't have any exposure to Sanders and redraft at all for the very concerns uh, that we're seeing in front of us. I was actually big into Sanders coming into last year, and he obviously disappointed. So uh, going into this year, especially with them investing in Gainwell in the draft and then all the weird running back moves that they made on top of everything just like left me completely off Miles Sanders and I couldn't be happier with that decision. Yeah, I had to burn him at some point during the the baby bowl and I was looking to get rid of him early in the year and this seemed like a good matchup to do so in and I was wrong. He only gave me eight points, but I did get a revenge game out of Corey Davis, which is always important in baby bowl to get revenge in the baby bowl. Corey Davis gave me 21 points there. That was really good. Uh, you you put Chase, who, who'd you put Chase Daniel? Who'd, who'd you have a wide receiver? Jamar Chase, I think, uh, Rob, and he gave you 14 points last week you really like those uh Bengals matchups last week yeah I was big on on the Bengals uh against Jacksonville Jacksonville's just looked horrible so far so uh yeah I, I definitely tried to play a little bit of both hoping hoping they would uh score a lot and you know they didn't neither of them blew up but at the same time I can't be too upset with about 14 just under 14 from both of them Jesse listen to what uh, Max did as well she ended up putting Tyreek Hill in and McLaren, Terry McLaren in 48 points from Hill, 34 McLaren. What a great matchup. They, I mean, just to put them both in the baby bowl in the same week and to have them both hit like that was fantastic. I, I hope I can get a week like that, uh, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, I had one, and honestly, I was shocked that I kept the lead for uh, going into Monday night because I, I think I tweeted this like Hollywood Brown basically did everything he possibly could to ruin me. Uh, staying at the number one spot because I played Lamar uh, in week three and was hoping for a big blow up against the Lions. And of course, Hollywood you know, drops two to three potential touchdowns uh, that kind of put a damper on the day. I tell you what, I have not been good at hitting on these quarterbacks every single week. Like I played Josh Allen last week and they had two rushing touch rushing touchdowns from nobody named Josh Allen. I mean, it's <laughs> like every week I play the guy, you know, the, the, the guy that I think is going to blow up and have big blow up potential. And it just never ends up being, I mean, I played Hertz week one, but ever since then I just have been not hitting on quarterback for whatever reason. Max also put in last week uh, to compliment her two wide receivers that scored so high. She she put in Noah Fant at tight end, which is a good one. He had 17 points. But there's something that she said that we must say, Rob, right? At the top of our lungs, I believe, because she put in Odell <laughs> Beckham. Okay. And, and Odell got her five points. And Max said, you can say out loud so that Baker Mayfield hears it that I'm so disappointed in him for not making it OBJ day. <laughs> and she oh, LOL'd yeah. on that one. So so she was very emotional. She was very frustrated that she missed one player last week. One player in Odell Beckham. So she wanted to extend that 80-point lead or whatever it was you said she had. She wanted to extend it. She's trying to rub it in her. She wanted to get to a 100-point lead, Rob. <laughs> I know, right? And the funny part is that the 170 
that she put up this week was the highest single score yeah. of any week. So this was the highest highest week of anyone, and it was done with a five point OBJ. So <laughs> yes, it, it could have been. It could have been. You know, if if Baker was on. I mean, that's the thing. Baker Baker's played so well for the past year or so, and then this past week it was one of his worst games in a long time. So had he been on. There was a there was a few plays where he could have uh, connected with OBJ and that would have been a you know a lot bigger score for her. Max said, "I knew Mahomes was getting frustrated with the losses lately, and Tyreek was very due for a game. Thought to chance it by stacking the two of them together was going to be good. Fant would have had uh, would have had more to his day, but alas, concussion cut Teddy's day short than I would have liked it to be." I wasn't expecting McLaurin to do what he did. It was just the luck of the draw. So that that's uh, what Max said about her lineup that she had last week, and that's uh, very cool to be able to see that. You know, you know what's funny about the McLaurin thing too is I had McLaurin in up until the last twenty minutes. I would say it was like it was like twelve forty, and I always go through you know before the games and I I check all my lineups in different leagues, check my DraftKings lineups, and kind of do final checks through everything. And I kept, I kept thinking to myself, I was just like, you know what? I was like, McLaurin's been struggling a little bit. I was like, Curtis Samuel's back. So maybe he steals a little bit of, a little bit of, you know, target share from him. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take McLaurin out even though, and play him. My thought was I was going to play him later on against Dallas was, was what was in my head. And man, I should have just stuck, stuck him in there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, I can't complain too much because, Doing that that tweak also saved me from a, a Travis Kelsey dud, as I took Kelsey out too. So, and uh, the guy I put in for McLaurin was Jacoby Myers, so I can't be you know too upset because he had like 17, 18, something like that. So, overall, I'll take it. But yeah, I missed out on that McLaurin thirty point game. Jacoby Myers, who you put in there, you also put DJ Moore in there, who gave you thirty two points. It was a great week by him. And instead of a Kelsey dud, you got an Evan Ingram. <laughs> You got one of those at, at number seven for, for him. Listen, uh, Jesse, what I did here, I, I ended up not taking my own advice because I told Rob I would never, ever, ever this year put a backup player in a position, right, that they were going to have to – I was going to have to count on, like Matson la- uh, last week, Chuba. Everybody likes to call him Chuba. I like looking at it like Hubba Bubba, so I like to call him Chuba uh, <laughs> in, in there. And, and then I ended up with – Putting the the guy with the big O, Orlandius Zacchaeus or whatever his name is for Atlanta in there. I put him in there because uh, I I think the the number two guy, number two wide receiver was out for them. And then I also put in whatever that three named wide receiver from Tennessee, whatever whoever that is. I put him in there last week, hoping to catch a little bit of lightning in the bottle. So I disregarded my own advice, Jesse, twice. What's your strategy with putting backup players in the baby bowl who should normally sitting on the bench, but maybe will have a one week flash in the pan? Yeah. So I'm normally avoiding at all costs, the players that like come out of nowhere and uh, do well one week. And then like the very next week, I'm always going to be off those guys. So like last week, um, or, or maybe the week before it was like Osborne for Minnesota. I was totally off him when he started to become popular. I'm typically a little bit more of a contrarian thinker, and sometimes it gets in my way because I overthink things. But anytime a guy becomes like super, super popular, I'm always uh, hesitant to play the guy, and I'm, I'm a little more um, willing to kind of just, you know, pivot to something else. 
um, like last week. So, so I was in on McLaurin as well, but then I liked Gibson as well in the same game. And I didn't want to have two of the same guys from the same offense. And it's like just those little things like that, that can completely change your score and, and, uh, you know, change the the upside and everything else that that goes along with it um i'm normally trying to plug guys in that i think have good roles and good usage on a week-to-week basis and last year i think the mistake i made in baby bowl was trying to get too cute like i looked too far ahead sometimes to see kind of what rob was discussing earlier about trying to get mclaurin in there against a dallas uh team or or something like that I, I, I did that way too much last year, and I kind of learned my lesson this year to just play it a week at a time and, you know, try to get the guys in that I think are going to blow up and, you know, just play it as it as it lies. And there's so many crazy things that happen in football that things will change on a weekly basis anyway. So it's likely that the guy that you were expecting to play the following week isn't even there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just those types of things I, I try to kind of limit and just play it on a week-to-week basis now for this baby bowl. I understand that, Jesse, and that's good thinking. Uh, Unless, of course, you are like me and you burned Travis Kelsey last week, who got me six baby bowl points. You talk about underthinking something, overthinking something. I don't know. The Philadelphia Eagles, I didn't know that they had some rule that tight ends can't actually catch the ball playing against them in the NFL. I didn't know that because this is Travis Kelsey had the worst week, I think, in forever. I was penciling him. I was putting it in blood that he was going to get me 20-something fantasy points in that matchup between Kansas City and Philadelphia, and boy, was I wrong. So I, I Travis Kelsey is... is you know, not getting a Christmas card from me. That's what he's not. Doing. <laughs> that's it. All right. So I, that wrapped. Huh? Go ahead, Rob. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like I said, I had Kelsey in all week for me. Part of it was the fact that I had Hertz in. So I was like, okay, if Hertz on one side, I'll, I'll run it back with Kelsey on the other side. And I believe the week before was the week that um, the Eagles got decimated by like, Schultz and Jarwin did pretty well, both of them against them. So I was just thinking, I was like, well, I think they're going to bracket Tyreek Hill, bracket and double him, and then Kelsey will be the one that, that'll do something. That that should be a high-scoring game. And I, I was confident having Hurts and, and uh, Kelsey in at the time. So I, I would have been right there with you had I not switched right at the last second. Where where are those crickets, Jesse? Jesse's got his window open and <laughs> the crickets are chirping. I wanted the crickets right then. I was waiting. There they are. I hear them. I hear them. There's crickets right there, Rob. That means I'm not talking to you right now. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's fair. Hey, we were going over to week number four. We're going to look ahead to week number five. And plus, we're going to talk a little bit of baseball at the end of it because I have with us, uh, Rob and I, I have with us week three winner of the Baby Bowl, Jesse Clark at jcrockett24 on Twitter. And of course, Max is the winner of last week, week number four. She was unable to be with us tonight at sfantasyfb on Twitter. Max is uh, the reigning Baby Bowl champion for week number four, but also in first place overall. And of course, I got Rob Norton with me at Norton0723. I am at Loafinit on Twitter. And don't forget to follow the show at FI Today with a little underscore at the end of it. Guys, uh, as we look ahead to week number five, right? Week number five. We've got some 50-plus games uh, that are scheduled here to go over the 50-point total. And those are things we probably all really like to watch, not only for DraftKings purposes, but also for Baby Bowl purposes. Buffalo and Kansas City. You know, Kansas City is just one of those teams. They've got a great offense. 
and the defense isn't that great either. You know, I mean, it's, it's like the polar opposite. So it's always setting us up for like, oh, we're going to pick on that Kansas City game this week. Buffalo and KC are are scheduled to get 56 and a half points. The Rams in Seattle on Thursday night, I believe, is 54 and a half. And Green Bay, Cincinnati is at 51. The Giants at Dallas is 52. San Francisco and Arizona are at 50. Those are the five point totals that are over 50 points. And let me just warn people about the ones under 40. If you know, under 40, I think this is the first time this year we have got games under 40. New England Patriots at the Houston Texans, 39 and a half. Denver Broncos at the Pittsburgh Steelers, 39 and a half. Those are two games that are going under the 40 mark, so you may not want to pick on any of those teams. Is that how you guys typically, uh, Jesse, if you play DraftKings or even this Baby Bowl thing or anything like that, is that how you kind of differentiate which games you're targeting is by the point totals? Yeah, so this week it's interesting because all these big games are like on not on the main slate for DFS. So the Bills mm. Chiefs are the night game for Sunday. Yeah, you're right. And, you're right. and then the, the Seahawks and Rams game is normally uh, or, or is is Thursday. So, so the 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 approach I normally take is I I try to highlight who I think is going to be the highest owned game. And I'm more of a tournament player than I am a cash game player. So I'm always trying to think contrarian. I'm thinking, trying to think of like maybe one or two games that I can pivot to to get away from the big game. Because, I mean, it's, it's football. We see it every week. Something crazy happens to where, you know, an injury happens or, or maybe just the game flow goes awry and, and you don't really know um, what's going to happen and it doesn't end up playing out the way it did. Or, or the way it was expecting to. So like last week, for instance, I was pretty heavy on the uh, the Washington-Atlanta game as a pivot to the Rams and Cardinals. And uh, I mean, that game ended up having a 64-point total, had a, a couple big scores there. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty good game to pivot to. So I tend to do uh, take that strategy um, but man, it's going to be hard to get away from this Bills and Chiefs game for Baby Bowl, at least the Bills and Chiefs game. And then this Rams and Seahawks game is obviously enticing as well. But the thing, the the other thing that's interesting is I, I like to play, I like to look into the pace of the two teams. Like if it's mm-hmm. going to be a high scoring game, like for instance, the Bengals and uh, Vikings, if both game plans go according to plan, both of those teams want to run the ball like crazy, and that's just going to milk the clock. So that game could have a potential to possibly go under the total, even though there's a high over-under. So like this week, the Seahawks play so freaking slow, and they run it too much, and I just wish that one day Russ Wilson would actually get a <laughs> uh, an offensive coordinator and a head coach, rather, that would uh, allow him to kind of spread it around. But I like the fact that they're going up against the Rams because the Rams play fast. I like picking teams against, like, the Cardinals. So, like, the quarterback on the opposite side of Cardinals, the Cardinals play at a super fast pace. So, um, like, this week, Trey Lance, I mean, gosh, you couldn't draw up a better matchup. Um, (laughs) It's just, like, things like that that I kind of look at. I I like the pace because – the pace of the two teams and, and how they uh, run more, you know, and, and game mm-hmm. neutral style things. If they, if they go more ha- pass heavy approach, I tend to lean towards those types of teams because I think those have a better potential to shoot out. Okay. All right. Rob, do you hear how he thinks? 
You hear how yeah, you do? yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's so funny because it was literally like it it felt like he was basically saying everything that I was thinking. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because you know I'm I'm huge into pace. Pace is something that you know is it, I've been huge in for a couple for a few years now. Really, um, you know. I was going to shout out uh, Hayden Winks and Ian Harditz. Like they, if you're looking for pace numbers, they put out pace numbers pretty much every week on Twitter. They have two of like the best articles out there uh, on a weekly basis. And, you know, it highlights games that have, it highlights teams that have fast paces and also games combine paces together. So, you know, the thing about pace of play is obviously the more plays in a game, the more opportunity to score, whether even, even on defense, I've, I've gotten to a point where, you know, I like targeting, like, even if a team is high scoring, I'll, I'll target defenses that face teams that drop back a lot because every time there's a drop back, that's another chance for a sack or a turnover. So, you know, Jesse nailed it in terms of the pace. And then the other thing that he was talking about is finding the teams that are like projected high over unders. And then also, the games that people won't be on. So like you mentioned, you know, if, if the Kansas city game was on the main slate, everyone in tournament play would be trying to stack that game up one way or another. So you'd see a lot of ownership percentage on the, on that game. So when, when I'm playing, you know, DraftKings and picking out who I want to play, usually I'll go to like, you know, another game that has a similar, similar total, and where the ownership projections aren't going to be anywhere near as high and kind of try to stack up that game in a few different ways and, you know, try to try to get just as much points or more where less people are playing them. And that way I can leverage the field like that. And so, you know, I had I had some people actually reach out to me uh, this past week asking, you know, what my process was in terms of that. And, you know, that's, that's kind of wh- how, how I do it. You know, I'll, I'll look, especially Saturday night, Sunday morning, I'll look at different, a couple different projection sets. I'll see which players are getting projected pretty well. And I trust those projections fairly, fairly well. So, you know, I'll make a little tweaks here and there, but, you know, I trust those projections pretty well. So, you know, at that point, I'll also look and see the ownership projections as well. And if there's guys that are projected fairly close and one's way more higher projected ownership and than the other one, especially in tournaments, I'll try to w- find a way to play those guys and then run it back on the opposite side of that same game. So that way I can get the correlation and get leverage at the same time, especially if I'm playing large field GPP tournaments. And so, you know, he, he nailed it pretty much across the board, everything that I was thinking. I understood about half of what you said. I think, I, I think I'm going to need a. I think I'm going to need a lawyer to explain that stuff to me. <laughs> I'm not that yet. Well, don't okay, don't, don't fool true. yourself. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. I understood what you meant, and it's it does take a lot of work to bring down those tournaments and everything. And it's always cool to be able to see people succeed at that. And Rob, I I've seen you succeed at that many many times. And uh, Jesse, I'm sure you have as well with that lawyer mentality that you have. Is there any Anybody that you look at in this right now, then uh, out of maybe those five games or somebody in that pace of play that you're that just jumps off the page at you that you're going, oh, I know I'm going to end up making a roster, a DraftKings roster, or even 
putting him in the baby bowl this week. Uh, let's go to you first, Jesse. Yeah, so the, the baby bowl is a little different because I think that the biggest games of the week are actually like not on the main slate. If we're talking about the just DraftKings alone, I kind of like this 49ers Cardinals game, but I, I fear that it's going to be a little popular. You know who I really like? I just have a feeling the Buccaneers are going to put up a lot of points against the Dolphins this week. Um, Brady didn't have a great game last week. He hasn't thrown for many touchdowns. I think he kind of had like negative regression go too far on the other side these last couple weeks after throwing like uh, what nine touchdowns the first two weeks. So I have a weird feeling that the Buccaneers might be one of the higher scoring offenses of the week, but there's not a whole lot of like games that are going to be both side uh, shootout affairs other than the ones that are like Sunday night. This mm-hmm. this Bill's Chiefs game. You just can't deny it. And then the, the Rams Seahawks. I don't know how I feel about that because Russ has struggled big time against the Rams defense in the past and they don't play fast at all. Carson looking like he might be out. I may like some pieces to the Rams. I I actually do like Daryl Henderson quite a bit. Um, But otherwise there's just not a whole lot of games. These games really, I mean, there's just a lot of bad teams playing each other this week. Yeah, and I think Max is, is having some of the same issues, Rob, whenever we texted or tweeted at her earlier. She said for this week, I have a heavy mix of flavors in the wide receivers. I don't even know who to choose. Miami against Tampa Bay. Miami will be throwing a lot this game. The Kansas City Bills game screams fantasy all over it. Then again, maybe not, she said. I think she, she might be feeling the pressure of being number one here. I just <laughs> I despise Thursday night football, but it could be a good one there for the wide receivers. Then we got a tough choice for the Minnesota Lions game too. Basically, the wide receivers will be tough to decide on. And then for quarterback, I'm 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 pondering uh, Danny Dimes, Zach Wilson, Ryan. Uh, I even am thinking about Winston might be in my mix. So she's really she's really got she's swirling right now, man. If you're trying to think of James Winston, I guess you got to use him every once in a while or something like that. But that's swirling there. The running backs, Minnesota, but Cook isn't even 100 percent. So might look elsewhere like Chicago the, and the Raiders or even Tampa Bay and Miami group. Uh, and tight end, end is a wasteland, Max said. I'm throwing a dart here with either Knox or one of the New England Patriots. Pick one and hope. They could change in the upcoming days, but this is where I am so far with the groups. It sounds like she's swirling right now, Rob. Sounds like she's trying to – don't overthink it, Max. Don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's definitely getting getting to the point of, uh, like you said, probably feeling the pressure a little bit, wanting to you know stay on top and everything. There is a lot to, that goes on, and like, like Jesse mes- mentioned, you know, this week's slate doesn't look as enticing because, like you said, the you know the ones the Kansas City and Buffalo game is like the premier game, and that's off the main slate. And same thing with the Thursday night game, and so those are you know the two kind of most enticing because they're both you know the the two highest totals on the week, and they're both close spreads. So you know that's what you want because obviously the higher the total, closer the spread, the ideally is a higher chance of shootout. So you know, on, on, in terms of like on the main slate and things like that, I mean, that San Francisco, Arizona game definitely is enticing. Um, I do think that one's going to be kind of a little bit popular, especially with Trey Lance being fairly pretty cheap on DraftKings and going against that Arizona 
uh, Cardinals team. And then, but you know, I actually kind of like the giants in Dallas as well. Um, I think in terms of the main slate, that's probably got the highest over under at 52. Dallas has looked a little bit better on defense, but you know, I still don't trust them to be, to be able to stop teams. I mean, it's not like the giants are a great offense, but Daniel Jones has definitely looked a lot better this year. And he's always been a he's always really been a good a better fantasy quarterback than real life quarterback since he can run and he likes to sling it. And that game is in Dallas, so it's in a dome, which is always conducive to passing game. So, you know, I, I in terms of DraftKings, I will definitely probably be stacking that game up a few different ways for for GPPs. And then with Baby Bowl, you know, Daniel Daniel Jones is definitely in consideration for me as well, and a lot of pieces of that game will be. I just don't trust the clapper. Do you? <laughs> I, I I don't I don't either. I don't either. I can't lie, but man, it's it's like and and the other thing that I'm starting to get away from a little bit. I've I've really targeted Dallas a lot, both in DraftKings and Baby Bowl this year, but they have looked a little better. Um, I mean, they still let up a decent amount of points, but at the same time, it hasn't been as explosive as they were last year in terms of basically you just target that game and you do well and so you know i want i i still probably will go to it this week especially with the the slate of games but if it does kind of bust out a little bit again this week i'm, I'm going to be rethinking it a little bit more moving forward all right guys put on your baseball caps take off those football helmets put on <laughs> your baseball caps here because i'm ready to talk a little bit of baseball i appreciate all your input and those very deep thoughts about the uh, dfs slate and everything and how to construct a winning lineup not only for the baby bowl but also for DraftKings, which we all like to have fun with but it, in in baseball in fantasy baseball let me ask you guys this and this is a serious question and jesse i'll ask you first out of the main sports you know we got we got we got basketball we got baseball we got football and hockey i'll put hockey in there as well which is your favorite season-long competition to play in is it is it which one of those four? Oh gosh um i would say probably baseball just because i feel like i'm more successful with baseball i feel like baseball is the type of sport that if you really know what to look for and you're diligent about spending the time to actually make it work you can really gain a significant edge on the competition in baseball. Uh, football, there's still a lot of luck uh, elements involved. And on a nightly basis, there still is for baseball. But there's still something about baseball to where if you're really digging in and you know what kind of stats to look for in these analytics and everything else that are, are coming into the game, you know, there's a reason they're coming into the game is because they actually work. And I feel like for baseball – I just tend to to gravitate towards it because I like my work to pay off. Like I like it, it's rewarding when you put in the work and it actually comes together. So for instance, I put out a tweet like after the first month of baseball and I said, guys, watch out. Joey Votto is trying to hit home runs now. He's getting unlucky. He's popping out a lot. He's hitting a lot more ground balls than he's anticipating. But if you really pay attention to all the stuff on the offseason, you would know that he was trying to go with a more power-heavy approach. And he was just getting unlucky. It was a small sample size. He was 
uh, kind of topping balls, and he was just really hitting it right at guys. And and if you looked at the analytics and you saw those, and you saw how much that deviated away from his uh, his career metrics, and you you knew what his style of approach was going into this year, you would have known that he was due for a breakout. And what happened? He got hurt, and he came back, and the guy was on fire for basically the rest of the second half of the year. Um, was, was probably a league winner for a lot of players. Yeah. So it's stuff like that that I enjoy for baseball because I actually know what to look for and I know it's going to pay off eventually. For football, there's still that like underlying thing of like, you know, DJ Chark can get hurt in the freaking first quarter and then you're screwed for the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Easy so, now. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like those things in football that, just has that added element that baseball, I feel like over the long haul, uh, things kind of level out. And if you know what you're doing, you can be very successful in baseball. So I think that's why I like it. Sure. And and the reason why we're talking about baseball tonight, Jesse started a fantasy baseball podcast called the long ball lounge. And he started it right before school started. I think you told me before the show, a couple of months before school started and then school got going and you're like, okay, I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And so you had to put that on, on hold, but I could tell uh, from anybody who does a baseball podcast, it's because they love the game of baseball. What about you, Rob? Which one do you like the most? So it's funny. Um, so every time I'm asked this question, the way I explain it is kind of like this. So in terms of writing, football is my favorite to write, write about just because baseball, I feel like, so when I'm, when I'm writing things, I put a lot of like research and time and everything like, and I'm really perfectionist in terms of, you know, how I want certain things to be said in, in a certain way and things like that. So I spend, and I feel like I've tried writing baseball and by the time I get the articles done, it's already changed so much because there's baseball games happening every day. So I'm, it's just so hard for me to get get enough articles in a timely manner. So in terms of writing football, in terms of playing, my most successful is definitely baseball. Like, like Jesse said, it, also I think what happens too is that if you're dedicated enough in terms of just actually paying attention all year, a lot of people fall off in baseball so, so quickly. And, and because it is, it can be a grind. I mean, it's obviously the most games. And so that, that helps for sure. I mean, like I said, in baseball is probably my favorite just because a part of it is that it's my most successful. Like I haven't had a, a, in terms of like money wise, I haven't had a, like a net negative season since like 2013 is what, what it's been. So I'm, I I love baseball. I love like how Jesse mentioned the underlying numbers and things like that. When you look for, when you know what you're looking for and you know how to look for it and, you know, you see certain guys, certain things that the, that's going on underneath and you understand the, the metrics, it, it makes, it gives you an advantage. I mean, everybody's catching up because it's becoming so much more accessible. That's right. for sure. But at the same time, you know, it it also since it is such the like the longest season it has such a larger sample size for variants to even out so i feel like in terms of you know football football is more the, definitely the like the most exciting you know you have all the games going on on sunday basically you got everything going on you got a touchdown here so you got a big splash play here big touchdown you got points getting scored all different places it's just really exciting no no doubt about it 
but uh, like Jesse said, seeing your work pay off is very satisfying, especially when you, you put in that work and you know what you're doing. So for that reason, it's definitely, you know, baseball, because over, like I said, over the course of the season, yep. if you put in that work, it, it pays off. And, you know, I, that's, that's how I, that's how I feel about it. I love basketball too, but basketball is kind of like the middle ground of all of it. You know, it's like the middle ground amount of games played. It's the middle ground in terms of like variance, but yeah. So the other thing, the other thing too, I wanted to point out too, in terms of year long baseball is like has the least luck involved, I think in terms of a year long and least variance, but in terms of night to night, Jesse kind of mentioned it a little bit too. Any given night baseball has the most variance because just, just a, you know, a superstar like Mike Trout one night could go four for four with three home runs and the next night go zero for four with four strikeouts. So, but on a year long basis, as long as he stays healthy, you know, he's getting good numbers. So uh, that that's, I mean, I don't play as much baseball DFS kind of for that reason, but I play a lot of baseball season long because I do feel like I am successful at it for those reasons. And, and for that, uh, you know, it's my favorite probably. Honestly, honestly, Rob, I don't, I don't want to uh, cut you off Wes, but oh. the, the DFS for baseball is kind of what got me into studying the underlying metrics a lot more. Um, it's it's still to this day the only tournament that I've ever won in DFS is through baseball. Um, and seeing that pay off was like, oh my gosh, all this work that I'm putting into and all this stuff that I'm listening to on a consistent basis is actually going to work. Like I put you know, $15 in like a, a Wednesday day slate and I ended up winning like 750 or 800 bucks. Um, it was awesome. And football, I haven't been able to get that success. Um, I got really close last year to where I, I think I won like four or 500 bucks uh, in like one day, but then all the rest of the, like you could go seven straight weeks of just going in the negative for football. <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially yeah. if you're a, if you're a tournament player in, in football, you know, some of the guys that I should try to learn from in terms of tournament players, they, they'll even talk about it though. And they, they're a lot of them are high stakes, big money players. And, you know, I, I try to study what they're doing, try to learn what they're doing. And, you know, they, they, they will talk about how they go seven, eight, nine weeks. They'll go two, three, four months where they're losing thousands and thousands of dollars. And then, but, but they know that with their process there, the way they fill out lineups, you know, how, how good they are at it, that they're going to hit big and real big one of these times and it's going to all pay it off. Yeah. I, I like baseball from the DFS perspective uh, a lot, a lot more than I like the f- fantasy football, but I like them both. I mean, I, when you play dime games and court games, it just doesn't even matter, really. You just get fill out your lineups. <laughs> but I like looking at those underlying metrics. You see my worksheet, uh, Jesse, and it's it's just a bunch of chicken scratch to everybody else. But I, <laughs> I, I get into uh, all the K rates and everything like that and who has the best lefty-righty matchups and, and all those things in baseball. I, I enjoy all the aspects of the baseball season. I enjoy football as well. And I would say that the football fanatics who are still paying attention at this point uh, are probably saying, Hey, I can predict so many different things on football with, with uh, <laughs> yards after catch or, or air yards. And, and yes, you can. And, but baseball's got a million of those little, little nuances that 
we love about the football game as well. And so you can really dive into those baseball ones. And I, I agree, it's the ability to be able to hang in there all season that really pays off for you in the long run. Uh, number mm-hmm. one fantasy player, I think, number one hitter anyway. I, I don't pay attention to pitching nearly as much as I should when it comes to uh, this. And, and that's probably because chicks dig the long ball. And uh, <laughs> Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ended up paying off finally his third year in the major leagues, if I'm not mistaken. He was the number one fantasy player in my league anyway with how the scoring goes. Scoring is a little bit different everywhere. But what an incredible year by him. 123 runs scored. 48 home runs, 111 RBIs, and the average was there for him this year. And that really helped him all the way across the board. He hit 311 for the season. That was that was an unbelievable season by him, Jesse. Yeah, I'm a little bitter that you brought that up because I had uh, MVP props for him uh, coming into the year that were, would have paid off pretty well. And then this guy uh, called Otani uh, kind of came out of nowhere and decided to <laughs> put a damper on that this year. So... <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and Otani was one of those interesting fantasy players where he was able to do it on both. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, there was a guy named Rick Sutcliffe, and everybody knows him from ESPN now, I believe. But, man, he came over to my Cubs one year, and he was – I think he was a Boston Red Sox before then, but he came over to the Cubs one year in a, in a trade. And that guy was hitting home runs left and right out of Wrigley Field. And he was just so much fun because he was dominating from the mound. He was dominating from the plate. But never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I would be able to see a player like Shohei Atane being able to do the things he does on a nightly basis, Rob. I, I, I've never seen anything like that. I've only heard of the legendary Babe Ruth being able to do stuff like that. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, you know, it's it's funny because so with Otani, he's so league format dependent mm-hmm. just because each site has such different different, you know, ways to have him, you know, like on Yahoo they have him as two separate players and CBS has him as one player, but then if you play a CBS weekly league, you got to decide do I want to start him as a pitcher or a hitter? If you play a CBS daily league though, that was the league any CBS daily league I had him. I, I, I was, I was telling, you know, one of my, one of my main, uh, one of my main leagues that I'm in is an AO only, um, auction, you know, salary cap style format, uh, keeper league. And I traded for Otani to keep him as a keeper and it's a CBS league and it's daily move. So I could get both sides of his stats without, having to choose, you know, cause I could just move him to a pitcher on the days he pitches and then move him back to hitter. Um, so the only thing that I would miss out was his hitting stats on the days he pitches. And so in that format, you know, I was, you know, talk, there's a guy in the league and him and I talk baseball pretty much every single day. And he was asking me, he's like, you really, you really like Otani, huh? And I was like, I think Otani is by far has the chance to be by number one player in fantasy in though in that format just because you're getting two players in one roster position. And if he's good at both, that's just such a huge advantage. So, so yeah, Otani, Otani's season was just absolutely insane. And, you know, it was, you know, unfortunately for Jesse, it was absolutely insane, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was awesome. 
leading the league in hits this year. And I didn't expect this whenever I looked at the season ending stats was a Trey Turner. Trey Turner kind of got cold there for some, it, it wasn't like a wow, Trey Turner, you're just lighting it up. And then at the end of the year, I was like, wow, Trey Turner, you really lit it up right under my nose. And I had you in a couple of leagues and I didn't even realize it. I never took you out of the lineup, of course. And then he gained dual eligibility this year, which I think will probably carry over into next year. But he led the league with a uh, 195 hits, 107 runs, 28 home runs, 77 RBIs, and 32 stolen bases, and hit 328 this year. That was really good from him. But uh, here's another here's another Blue Jay for you, Jesse. Bo Bichette came back at us this season with 191 hits, 121 runs, 29 home runs, 102 RBI, and 25 stolen bases, and almost hit 300. That Toronto Blue Jay team is going to be really something hard to deal with for a long time. Yeah, I honestly wish they would have made the playoffs. That would have been really fun. I wasn't too heavy into Bo Bichette, to be honest. I thought some of the underlying metrics mm-hmm. from last season uh, didn't favor him, and, and I kind of shied away. I thought that the ADP really crept up with him, and I just felt myself going elsewhere at shortstop. But, uh, yeah, he definitely surprised, and it's, I mean, when he's in that position in the lineup and all those boppers behind him, you know, you're you're bound to score a ton of runs. So, yeah, that Blue Jays lineup is a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun for the next couple of years. Yeah, Simeon was in that top 15 of hits as well. As somebody that had a real good, nice bounce-back year was Paul Goldschmidt. He ended up with 177 hits, almost hit 300. So it was good to see him get back on track like old Paulie did. But this was probably one of the most surprising ones to me. And and it's really, for me, it's about contact rate. Uh, maybe even some exit velocity or the powerful, the, the 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 ability to hit the ball real hard kind of adds to my contact rate a little bit because you avoid gloves that way if the ball's moving faster. I think Austin Riley, uh, 179 hits, he ended up with a 303 average. I think last year and even the year before that, uh, when he was up in the major leagues a little bit, that guy was whiffing like every every two out of three at bats or something like that, Rob. Austin Riley had a great season this year, and he ended up being first base, third base, outfield eligibility. I, I think he'll probably carry that third base and outfield eligibility into next year, but what a what a season by him. Yeah, that was, that was pretty insane. He was an, a guy kind of like um, – kind of like – Jesse was mentioning with Bo Bichette where obviously he wasn't getting drafted anywhere near as high, but just looking at the underlying, you know, profile, you really didn't like what you saw. I mean, he, you knew he had a ton of power, but that's, that K rate was so huge that it was, it, I mean, it was, it was just like, how is this guy ever going to hit over 240? And then he goes and hits 303. So <laughs> it's like, you know, sometimes guys can do that. I mean, a guy that I that I've taken a long to, time to come around on is Tim Anderson because he yep. is his discipline is just kind of like Boba Shetts where he doesn't walk a ton and he strikes out a lot. And it's just usually that's not a good profile for a hitter. And, you know, some of these guys can make it work though. And and Riley, you know, with his exit velocity, his max exit velocity, you know, his um slugging percentage and even if you look on baseball savant his expected batting average was extremely high as well it wasn't like he was getting lucky i mean his k rate was his rough but he had such a high barrel percentage such, such a high max exit velocity hard hard hit percentage that the you know expected batting average was was still at you know real high i think it was let's see here 260 or 277 was his expected batting average which was like 
87th percentile in, in baseball. So <laughs> he, he wasn't really getting that lucky and, and he's, he's a young guy and he could be, you know, a force for years to come. Sure. Definitely sustainable stats. And Jesse, uh, when I would dip over to runs here, I, I felt bad because somebody asked me a question. I don't know that they listened to my advice, but they definitely had, they, they, they trusted me and I gave them wrong advice and, it, and it's, it's been a thorn in my flesh. I don't think I read the underlying stats wrong, but this guy finished with 117 runs, had a bounce back season with 31 home runs, 83 RBIs, only only stole five bases, which I think is going to that's what he's going to have going forward. Hit 278. Jose Altuve. To me, he bounced back this year. I don't I don't know that he can keep doing it. I'm, I don't want to doubt him next season because I have egg on my face this year. But I, was I reading it wrong going into the year that Jose Altuve had maybe just kind of maybe lost it? And then this year, somehow he regained his uh, fountain of youth. Yeah, I don't want to uh, to rain on your parade, but I was actually uh, pretty into Altuve coming into the year. Um, okay. I thought I thought he would have a, a breakout season, uh, kind of similar to what we saw. I just thought that everybody was so uh, made such a big deal about the cheating scandal, and then that just so happened to be like his worst season in the majors was right after that. I just felt like it was too much all coming at the same time, and normally you know, players don't just fall off like that. He's not that old. He's a very good hitter. I just felt like there was some bounce back potential to him. And I thought that his ADP was so low that he just became a a glaring value to me. So yeah, I had, I had Altuve uh, in quite a few spots this year and, and it paid off. Yeah. I think he was asking me about a trade or something and it was early in the season. I just didn't see that much power coming from him again. Uh, I didn't think his ISO was going to be that great and it had dipped off the like the last two years. And and it was really hard this year, kind of looking at the, some of those things because of COVID season last season, just kind of made everything a little bit different home runs. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to say it shocked me, but his health was there all year, which really helped. But to see a catcher sitting number two in the major leagues, actually tied for first in the major leagues with home runs. Salvador Perez had 48 home runs, tied Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with 48 as well. Uh, he, he's he's an awesome hitter. But for a catcher to be able to do that, Rob, and, and it helps that he's in the American League so he can DH every once in a while. But still, that's such a valuable tool to have a catcher be able to hit that many home runs. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm never, I, it's, I wouldn't say I'm never, but it's rare for me to draft catchers pretty early. I feel like they kind of get pushed up similar. I mean, they kind of get pushed up due to scarcity. And I mean, obviously it's all league format dependent, but um, yes, Sal was not a guy I had pretty much anywhere this year and definitely regretted that. But, you know, like you said, 48 homers, 121 RBIs, 273 average 88 runs and the big thing about him like you said is he he can dh and you know he got 620 at bats for a catcher Mm -hmm. and i don't Mm -hmm. think i i didn't look at it but i think i don't think any other catcher even got like 500 or close to well i guess i guess if you count uh isaiah kinder falefa which he's he is on uh yahoo yeah, he's Yahoo eligible there at catcher. Uh, and and th- let me ask you this, Jesse. Do you think Joey Gallo, do you think, oh. he gets, do you think he gets a point 
for every time he hits it right at somebody and he makes an out? Do you do you think he thinks he's playing <laughs> pinball out there, or what is he doing? I mean, he's got. He's got the ability. He has the opportunity. He hit for an unbelievable average last year for Joey Gallo, right? And I was hoping this year (laughs) that he would be able to match some of that and not have as big of a regression as he had. He still ended up with 38 home runs, but he only batted 199. 199 for Joey Gallo. I, I don't know how that guy does that. Yeah, if there's ever been a guy that's like Adam Dunn reincarnated, it's it's that guy right there. Um, I shout out to Matt Williams. Um, he he posted a stat before the season that I was just astounded by. It was like something like Joey Gallo leads like the history of Major League Baseball in his percentage of strikeouts in doubles and home runs. Like the guy doesn't hit any singles or or. Uh, triples it's basically every time he goes up to the plate he's either striking out he's walking or he's hitting a home run um i forget the exact stat but matt williams um if you go back far enough you'll be able to find it 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 was pretty fascinating stat yeah joey gallo is is so hit or miss it's so hard to own a guy like that and i i want to uh, circle back to the Sal Perez, you know, I kind of patted myself on the back on the Jose Altuve thing, but I kind of have to acknowledge where I was totally wrong at the same time. Um, gosh, after like a, a month into the season, I traded somebody Sal Perez and Cedric Mullins because I thought that they were uh, both kind of overachieving at the time. And I got a uh, grand who ended up getting hurt for most of the season. And I ended up getting uh, like David Peralta, something like that. I thought that was an even trade at the time because I was buying low on grand and I was super excited about it. And then uh, it didn't exactly turn out so well, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that's fun. Uh, I, uh, one of the most, I think one of the, most fun things to watch in baseball or in any sport anymore is stolen bases. It still it still gets my heart pumping whenever somebody's going to steal a base, especially when you know that threat is standing on first base. It just kind of gets your heart pumping. And Starling Marte, I, I didn't think he was going to end up doing this at all. It led the leagues in, st- in steals, 47 steals for him. Whit Merrifield is still running around out there with 40, Trey Turner with 32, and Cedric Mullins with 30. What a nice, surprising year for Ced Mullins. If he could ever get on a team that allows him to maybe drive in a couple of runs, and I know he's up there at the top of the order, so that's going to be hard for him to do but he still had an incredible year this year uh i just appreciated what he did from that standpoint of being at the top of the lineup uh starling Marte with 47 stolen bases was that rob just because he was healthy all year long or or what i know he had the green light in oakland but he had a green light in miami as well yeah definitely you know i was kind of surprised when that he kept running as much as he did when he went to oakland Mm -hmm. just because you know that it was kind of thrown around. I had seen people talking about how Oakland, their philosophy wasn't to run very much. And then, so would he see a downtick in terms of stolen bases once he went over there? And, and no, he just kept, he just kept running like crazy. So um, I think, like you said, being for him being healthy pretty much all year, that was like a, a big factor. And because he is getting a little bit older, but he's like you said, I mean, he still led the league and and still. So obviously he's he hasn't slowed down yet. And um, but yeah, and then Cedric Mullins, like you mentioned, gosh, Cedric Mullins, you know, I was I was there with Jesse because I thought for sure he was going to regress. And then he just kept going. And, you know, 
shout out to uh, I don't know if, uh, Justin Mason. He was he was huge, huge on Cedric Mullins before the year. He had him on like every team, so he's pretty much known as the Cedric Mullins guy at this point. So <laughs> Cedric Mullins, I mean, he like you said, he had an incredible season with that thirty thirty, and and like you said, he. he he was still a top 30 overall player with only 59 RBIs because of that Baltimore lineup. So yep. if you go somewhere else and get that RBI production up, you know, he, he can be great. All right. Without overthinking it, you are in next year's draft and you have the number one pick of the draft. Are we going to say we all are going to pick that Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Or is that what we're doing? Uh, I don't yes know or no. That. Okay. All right. All right, so I said without overthinking it. And, and you're, and now I'm, you're I'm a chronic overthinker. You should know. You should. <laughs> you're lawyering up on this now. You're. I mean, come on. How can you deny that 311 average? And or are you going with a Trey Turner who had those stolen bases to match all those things? And but 20 home runs less. And yes, you can find that somewhere else. I believe uh, you can find the home runs. Uh, where you, where are you going with that, Rob? I'm going to let Jesse. I'm gonna let Jesse think about it. Don't <laughs> don't put pitchers in it right now either. We're not talking about pitchers. Okay. Number one hitter off the board. Okay. So yeah, I was gonna say, for me, it's all league format dependent because I was gonna say if it's a weekly head-to-head points league, it would definitely be Degrom as long as he's healthy, obviously. But we're not gonna throw pitchers in there. But uh, year-long points league, I'm gonna take Soto. Um, just his his plate discipline is so unbelievable that I think he would, in terms of points leagues this year, I think he was second. I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but even that was after his such a slow start in the beginning of the year. He just absolutely tore it up uh, in the second half after the All-Star break. And in terms of in terms of a Roto League where steals are definitely more important than they are in, in points, you know, I'll probably go Tatis. Um, if if Acuna, if Acuna wouldn't have gotten hurt, I oh, probably yeah. it would have been Acuna. But with him being hurt, I, I think I gotta go Tatis. As assuming he's getting into the year, so that that would be it for Roto. I said note overthinking it. You're giving me like five <laughs> names. I know, I know, I know. And, and all I'm, different league formats. Uh, and and the football guys are going out there. How how much do you get for every hit? Is it half point PP or half point hit PPR? <laughs> That's what, uh, what about you, Jesse? Do you agree with what Rob said, or would you switch something up there? Yeah, I was leaning towards Tatis or maybe Trey Turner probably were the two names that kind of stuck out to me initially. Okay, I, I could see that. Innings pitched, I didn't realize this. Who, who led the major leagues in inning pitched, Jesse or uh, Rob? Oh, gosh, Ooh, I'm going to defer to Rob on this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to guess. I was going to guess... Honestly, Walker Bueller, but I, I don't think it was him. I, was, yep. I, was, I thought it was maybe Kevin Gossman, but I don't know. And that's I, something I look like, I look for in draft rooms whenever I'm there, and you know, you're kind of getting towards the end of the draft. And you're like, okay, who do I want here? Who do I want? Who has the most innings pitched? So I could just put them in there, and, and let's see about the ERA and kind of compare them real quick and all that. Innings Zach pitched, Wheeler. Zach, Zach Wheeler, ERA 278, 101 whip. Oh, wow, at, yeah. uh, 247K, so he had a good uh, one-to-one ratio there, at least a little bit higher than that. And then Walker Bueller, then Adam Wainwright. That's cool to see Adam Wainwright's name back on that list uh, of people. And 174 strikeouts for Adam Wainwright. Not striking out people as much, but but pretty close close enough to it for me. And uh, Alcantara, 
boy, I, I like him a lot if he can get on. That Miami team's really come to fruition. Uh, I think that they could be, a, if they can get some bats, if they could just get some bats, man, that'd be that'd be really cool to see. And Robbie Ray got close to that 200 number as well. I like those innings pitched. Who led the league? Don't cheat, uh, uh, Jesse. I can hear you cheating over there. Uh, who, who, who led the league in wins this season? Anybody? Oh, I actually do know this one offhand. Uh-huh. I'll, that, I'll let, let Jesse guess. Is it Bueller? No. No, it's You're it's close. Really, same team. Urias. Wow. Urias, yeah. Little Urias. I, I don't. To be honest, the only reason I knew that was I was listening to a baseball podcast either I don't know if it was earlier today or yesterday, and they were talking about it, and it kind of threw, kind of stuck with me. I didn't realize he had twenty wins. Don't they have to address the issue of? Max Scherzer being traded to the Dodgers at some point. I mean, they got Urias, Bueller, they got Scherzer, and whoever else they have. I know they got a million pitchers over there. But, I mean, they're just Bogart and everything over there. You know what I mean? They, they make a deal <laughs> yeah, for Trey Yeah, seriously, Turner. where's David Stern where you need, when, when you need him? We need <laughs> some vetoes on these trades. Uh, something. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's ridiculous, and I really think that they're going to end up uh, losing a lot of fans throughout this just because of uh, people being able to have all the same players on the same team. Who led the major leagues in saves without cheating? Mm, man, ahead, my Rob. first guess would be Liam Hendricks, but I'm not sure if he did or not. I know he was close, but I, I, I'm the only reason I'm thinking him is because the White Sox were go, so good and he was so good. <laughs> yeah, he finished the year with 38, but was not first. Was it Melanson? It was Melanson with 39 with San Diego, which is kind of cool to see. He wasn't even the closer, I don't think, last year for the Braves the entire season. Uh, if I if I got my teams correct, he's been around a couple of, the block a couple of different times over the last mm-hmm. three or four years. But Melanson uh, closing out there for the San Diego Padres led it with with 39, and that's always the thing. You got to always go with the good teams, the teams that are going to win a lot of games. I didn't think San Diego was going to win that many games until I saw them accumulating all those good players as well. But they're in the same division there with, uh, what is They're in the same division with the Dodgers and the Giants. Is, am I right? Mm-hmm. That NL yeah. West, that NL yeah. West is tough. And, and they were all accumulating the wins. And I, so I was like, okay, which one of these teams can't do it? And I thought, I figured it was going to be San Diego. Kenley Jansen, who I didn't think would have that good of a year just because he's, kind of drifted off the last couple of years but he finished the year with 38 saves as well and then will smith with 37 saves so that's pretty cool and josh Hader doing josh Hader things who led the league in strikeouts well now that you said wheeler was the innings pitch guy and i know he was a good strikeout guy too i'm just gonna go with wheeler and <laughs> jesse is it uh is it Burns? No, that would have been a good guess. So Wheeler finished second with 247. Burns finished fifth with 234. Scherzer had 236. Garrett Cole had 243. Robbie Ray finished with 193 oh, innings Ray, yeah. pitched and 248 strikeouts. And I hate it because he was on my roster at some point, but I'm such a, a pitcher streamer. And in, in my home league, we ended up still having like 25 moves because of COVID or something. So I was just streaming pitchers, baby. I was just, <laughs> every day I had three new pitchers, you know, I, I, so it didn't matter to me. And at one point, Robbie Ray was on my roster and I held on to him for a minute and then I needed some K's or something like that. So I let him go and I never got to see him again. So I was really disappointed <laughs> in that. But yeah, that, that was pretty cool to see. And Gosman bouncing back too with 227 strikeouts. That's, that's cool. Uh, Dylan Cease. 
Dylan Cease had 226 strikeouts, 165 innings pitched. Guys, can we expect some similar things out of that? He was also the guy out of that top group who had one of the higher ERAs with 391. He's going to seem more like Austin Nola, uh, Aaron Nola than uh, the rest of that group, right? Yeah. I think that uh, ERA is – I think this guy has a potential to break out. I think that ERA is a little bit unlucky. I think his stuff's good enough to put together a really good season in the future if he can put it all together. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree too. And, you know, Cease has been a guy that has been a, you know, has a great, um, pro- like pedigree for a prospect. And he was, I think he was like a really high graphic. And, you know, I think his, his underlying stuff is pretty good as well. And, that K rate is huge. You know, it's funny, Wes, our, our guy, uh, Mendy, David Mendelson. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I was going to mention a, him as well. Yeah. He's a huge, he's a huge Cease guy. He was hyping all off season, you know, as a, as a big breakout candidate. And, you know, I counted, I counted as a win for him because that, oh, yeah. that K rate jumped his ERA dropped. And even though, it was, even though it was high, his X ERA was actually, uh, below. So, like like Jesse mentioned, you know he's got he's definitely got room for improvement, and th- if he keeps that K rate up and uh, you know drops that walk rate, which he has uh, the past couple of years now, you know the sky's the limit for this guy. He's he's honestly a, a I bet you heading into next year he's going to be a lot of uh, people's dark horse Cy Young candidate. Yeah, I'm not giving Mendy any credit because he was on my waiver. <laughs> see, see, I love Mendy and all, but Cease was on my waiver wire on and off, on and off, on and off. Uh, I guess that maybe did have something to do with the 25 moves that we could make during the years, <laughs> during the week. So, uh, that, that I, okay, I'll give Mendy credit. I'll give he did yeah. he did call that one, and it was it came pretty close. If you're finishing top, uh, however many it was there, Dylan Cease had a good season. Hey. It's good to talk baseball with you guys. It's good to talk football. Good to talk baseball, too. I haven't been able to talk baseball on a podcast in a long, long time, and I really enjoy baseball a lot. So I appreciate it, Rob and Jesse. Good job, Jesse, tonight. I appreciate it. I, uh, you, you followed along on the show notes just fine. Thank you so much, and I apologize again for the crickets. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to listen to the program, so that's okay. Uh, (laughs) We appreciate you, Jesse. Tell everybody where they can find you over on Twitter and everything. Yeah, you can find me at jcrockett24 on Twitter, and uh, my YouTube channel is uh, Fantasy Sports with Jesse Clark. Uh, Obviously, don't have a whole lot of content going on right now, but at some point, uh, once this whole school madness is over, I will be pumping out content again. Well, we can't wait for five years down the road when you're putting out content (laughs) again. (laughs) Hey, man, we do appreciate you making time. I know you're busy. Thank you so much. Enjoy your four days there, and and please keep hitting those books because I know I'll need a lawyer one day, and I'll know who to turn to, okay? (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Jesse. Rob, great job as usual. I appreciate all your hard work for the Baby Bowl. Hey, you're going to have to give us an update on when you're making the donation and all that sometime soon. I want to hear how much money we donated and all that and uh, to all the causes that we have going on here for the Baby Bowl as well coming up soon, right? I hope. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll have to get back to you for sure on the numbers of it, but um, actually, I have them right here. uh, It looks like. It's going to be, we have over $2,000 of donations 
that we're going to be making. It looks like it's twenty-one seventy-five. Half of it's going to go to March of Dimes, and then half of it's going to go to Ashley's Embrace. And I plan on making it on November first. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a day that's right. meaningful. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it, November first is when I plan on making both of those donations. Yeah, I remembered from last year that that it was sometime in the end of October or something like that. So I knew that you'd be getting back to me on those things. And we really do appreciate putting the Baby Bowl together. It's helped us unite with so many different people. And it's a great chat to be in. Uh, feels like a little community that we have going on right there and, and all for a great cause. So we appreciate everybody listening to the Baby Bowl baseball edition of the podcast, but also the football. And congratulations again to Max as well for winning a second week and sitting on top of the Baby Bowl standings. Uh, and everybody, we want to encourage you. Follow Rob Norton at Norton0723 on Twitter. Follow Jesse Clark at jcrockett24. You can follow me as well at Loafinit on Twitter. Don't forget to follow the show at at, Loaf, uh, at FI Today with a little underscore. Subscribe, download, uh, leave reviews and all those things. But more importantly than all those other all those other actions, family, we want to encourage you to go out into the world and find a way to make a positive impact in somebody's life today. <laughs> <laughs>